Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver. And our word on KCB 106.5 FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and 1050 AM Palm Springs. Talking with a man from Texas who's written a lot of books, Mr. George Ware. How are you? I was doing all right, but I'm completely over that now. Well, we'll we'll try to make it worse for you. Um, okay, good. So, uh, how did well? Let's let's get back to this. Like you, um, you've written a lot of books. So, uh, where did it start for you? And and not only where did it start, but why did it start? Huh. Oh boy, that's that one's loaded. That's a loaded question. So I started uh, I started fairly young. Uh, in fact, uh, I was. Uh, uh, probably nine or ten years old, walking around. Uh, you take a piece of paper, fold it in half, or several sheets of paper, fold them in half, put staples along that that uh, fake <laughs> spine you've got there, color the cover of it, and then write what you want inside. And I give those to people like, here's my book. You know, I don't think anybody was impressed with that, um, and I've I've been trying to impress them ever since. I think. But uh, <clears throat> now, um, I guess. Uh, in uh, 1986, what was I, 20, 22, 23 years old, 21, something like that, I uh, made a bet with myself that uh, it was April Fool's, April 1st, 1986, that uh, I was going to play a joke on myself, practical joke, let's see if you can write a book, uh, cowboy. And so uh, damned if I uh, wasn't able to do it, I was able to, to get all the way done, complete, benito, benito, um, and uh, <clears throat> it was uh, it was pretty horrible. Um, 
and uh, uh, it's not uh, anything I'd recommend to anybody. In fact, I hope that there are no copies of that first book around anywhere. Um, and after about four or five more books, I moved to Austin in 2002, and I was looking through bookstores here. I was looking for kind of an action-adventure mystery um, book series or just a couple of books like that. That uh, or somewhat Austin based because it was going to be my new home and you know, I was all alone here and uh, and uh, I couldn't find any in the bookstore. I went to all the bookstores. Went to the half price bookstore here. Uh, that's where half price started out. Was here in Austin and uh, I was looking through the stacks and I was like, you know, there's, there's nothing. There's nothing here. And then uh, then I said, well. For, yeah, if I'm going to read an action-adventure, Austin-based mystery, I'm going to have to write it myself. And I was like, wait a minute, what? And I went back home uh, uh, from the bookstore empty-handed, and I sat down and I wrote out about 21 or 25 titles for a new mystery series. And uh, right now I'm um, banging away on number 20. I just, in fact, this morning, today, book twenty, uh, book 19, um, Amarillo Waltz, was uh, published. And so um, uh, there you go. And I've got 39, I think 39 different uh, <sighs> different books out there. Uh, I just never learned my lesson. I don't know when to stop, apparently. And uh that yeah, that's 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 you wanted to know. You wanted to know you asked me. It's your fault. Yes, it's my fault. Listen, so okay, so what made you choose uh to write in this style? Like when you're doing uh you're doing fiction, crime mystery, etc. Um this is what you read or this is what you really like? Well, I make it a habit not to read other people's mysteries. I, I principally read, if I'm going to read, I read science fiction or I'll read something else. Now, the exception to that is I have friends who are mystery authors. I've got a number, a great number of friends who are mystery authors and occasionally have to read one of their books. And, uh, and, and, they're they're wonderful. These 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 people are wonderful. Uh, some women, some uh, most of them guys. And uh, but I don't I don't read a lot of mysteries because well I just don't want them to influence me overly much. You know what I mean? Right. But right. the thing the thing that well, the thing and like I said uh, and I've got a few science fiction out there and I'm enjoying those when I write those. The thing is for me the uh, the. The action adventure mystery, the style of that is uh, there's an immediacy to it. I mean, you are. I, I'm not going to write a book, uh, a, a mystery, an action adventure, if I can't put the reader in the scene and have them see and smell and breathe in everything that's going on and then put some pressure on them and get them wrapped up in the thought processes of the main character such that they almost become the main characters they're reading, and then they're just uh, pulled forward 
with what is going on and with the, what's being said and and everything. Because I'll tell you, when I'm in that mode, um, I am not. I, I don't think I'm in this world. I uh, I'm in this other scene. It's a full-blown movie going on. I'm reporting what I'm seeing, and I'm in it when I'm writing it, and I have no idea what's coming next either. You know what I mean? Hmm. And uh, that's – it's it's almost like a drug, actually. It's uh, it's a bit of an addiction uh, for me. When I write one of these books, they, they become, after 19 books in the series, working on 20, they become such a um, uh, an addiction or such. They're so easy for me to write. It's easy for me to step into that world and write. But the problem is is that the, the life of Bill Travis, from the age I started writing these books until present time, the life his life is a translation of, of basically what's not necessarily what's going on in my life, but the timeline is pretty much the same. So this series will come to an end, but I've already started writing the young Bill Travis mysteries. I'm going to take them from age 16 and then uh, on up to probably his like early 20s, and then I'm going to start the new Bill Travis mysteries, which will take him from you know, 22, 21, something like that, all the way up to 39 years old when the first book, The Last Call, kicks off. So I've got 13 titles for the Young Bill Travis Mysteries. I don't have any titles yet for the new Bill Travis Mysteries. But I see this as being about 60 books by the time I'm done with just that series. So you're kind of slow at doing them. Uh, Yeah, I think I'm slow. I think... It's yeah. slower than molasses in January. It's uh, it's glacial. It's uh, plate tectonics. It's uh, uh, California moving one inch into the Pacific Ocean a year. For me, for me. Uh, but uh, I guess, in all uh, for all practical purposes, it was uh, it took me uh, four weeks to write uh, the Amarillo Waltz. And with the majority of that being done in the last two weeks. Mm. So, the fastest book I wrote was 11 Days, and that was uh, yeah. um, that was the, my best. Actually, it was my best work, and it's not a Bill Travis book. But, so that's, uh, that, that's, not no, that's not normal. Like I, I've talked to a lot of writers over the last 10 years, and this is not a normal process. In fact, some of them call me a nut because... I will start a book and finish it, well, the basis of the book in two months. But I do a couple of years' research because I'm doing true crime. I'm doing a live event. You're doing uh-huh. something that comes out of your mind. Um, uh-huh. So so that's not normal to do it so fast, I, as, as far as I see. Yeah, well, I don't know that I'm normal. necessarily yeah. normal. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't know the jury's the jury's out. I I like to Alan. I like to think that I'm just a regular guy, and right. I think I am, you know. But you know, writers uh, absorb everything that's going on around them. We're sponges, walking. We're all SpongeBob walking around, soaking up the universe around us, and uh, everything, every conversation I ever heard, I've got it. Man, and I know how people 
react and think and feel, and I know, you know, where everything is and how, basically how it's put together. I use every bit of that in my books, and so, uh, well, who so is it's Bill, actually... Who, who's Bill Travis? Go ahead. Who is Bill Travis? Uh, you know, uh, that is also a trick question. You know that um, I think he is, uh, Bill is who I would have been had I done things just a little bit different. Um, in fact, just just right now, I am going through the process. I have, a, I have an appointment on Thursday to be fingerprinted, and that's sent to the FBI to get my PI license. Um, and, uh, you know, I've, I've been involved also with true crime a little bit, helping other people out mostly. It's mostly helping other other people get their books out or whatnot, and... Uh, and I have not written a true crime book of my own just because I'm not that disciplined. Um, I, I have to applaud you for being able to put one out and it being good and right and, and yet also compelling and, and all that other stuff. So there you go. But uh, Bill Travis is me that could have been or maybe should have been or, or, or the me that wasn't. So, there you go. Well, well, how do you? But okay, so um, from the very first time you wrote uh, about Bill Travis to now, um, you uh -huh. you you've evolved that character. That character is not the same person it was when you started. So, how do you get um, the evolution in that person? Like, where does that come from? Like, how do you develop that character? Is what I'm asking. You know, I'm really not sure. It's just over the course of all those books. Okay, so when you write the when you write book one, right, and it's done, a done deal, and you sit down and you're going to write book two, you have to remember to assert, especially if they're like um, chronological in time, and you know it's sort of the same, some of the same characters, it sort of makes sense. So you have to remember or know what happened in book one. Well, try going to book seventeen. Uh, or book 18, and then try and remember everything that happened in all those books. It's not always easy to do that. But the one thing that remains constant is who this person is, and to a very marked degree, that never really changes. Now, how he reacts to things sometimes change. I've noticed changes. I've noticed that over time, Bill has... Um, become a little bit more uh, decisive, uh, acting a little bit more instantly. And then afterwards, after, you know, it's sort of like uh, shoot first and ask questions later, after it's all over, he can afford to feel philosophical about things and stop and think about things. You know, I, I have this idea, this theory, that uh, we didn't develop our brains until we ran into enough walls. You know, butted, butted heads with enough wildebeests or something like that. We didn't develop any gray matter um, <clears throat> until we've uh, until we've done that. You ever notice a kid will like run into a wall, headbutt a wall or something like that, and then fall back on their behind, and then they'll just sit there and they'll think about it for a little bit. So I think the whole process of thinking has to do with collisions, the aftermath. 
is what I'm saying. Yeah. And you know, it's like even 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 an emotional collision, like uh, people get into a, a relationship and then they break up. Well, what do they do after that collision? They uh, they sit and they think about it for a while. They muse on it. They're like, well, what uh, what happened here? What uh, uh, let me take stop stock. What are my cho- what were my choices? What did I do wrong? What you know? And so that process and and, and so. I have allowed Bill to only be very, very thoughtful about things after something big has has happened. But usually it's just he's 90 to nothing. Uh, he's lightning quick. His reflexes are still sharp. My, I'm one of these guys that I'm, – I'm kind of a big guy, right? I'm not, I'm not a little skinny, you know, uh, guy. I'm kind of a big, beefy guy. But man, people have marveled that uh, my reflexes are exceedingly fast, extremely fast reflexes for a big guy. How I carry myself and whatnot. Bill is not me, but uh, Bill, Bill is uh, a lot thinner than me. You know, I've never, I've never uh, described what he looks like. And I had this lady one time that uh, sent me an email. Uh, telling me how uh, she loves Bill Travis and how he's so cute. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, so what I figured out from that that what I've been guilty of doing here is I've been getting the having the reader think that I created Bill Travis to look and be a certain way when it's them creating it in their own mind. So I'm getting them to to create it themselves and attribute to me what they have created in their own minds. And that's not an easy thing to necessarily to do, but I think I've successfully done it. Huh. Well, that's good. That's probably good. That's a good way to do it. Um, do, you, do you know, I, on a lot of um, fiction writers that I talk to, um, I asked them about their main character and what uh-huh. that character means to them. Now, this might sound weird, but I have a lot of people that say they're, 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 they're like their kids or they're very personal um, with their character. Do you find the same? I'm a little bit proprietary about Bill Travis. Uh, it, it is personal, but he's definitely not my kid. He is like my drinking buddy, you know. Mm. <laughs> he's he's like, uh, you know, there's nothing else going on. So I think, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to go check out and see what Bill is doing. And we'll sit, sit back and have a beer, maybe even have a smoke, and uh, just shoot the bull. And uh, <clears throat> that to me is 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 Bill. But I am proprietary about him. I can't see anybody else writing him, but maybe in the future someone could, but they'd have to know Bill. They'd have to be a Bill Travis fan. But, you know, this this series is just, I started this series because I actually wanted to learn how to write. Okay. So it it was a process for you, a learning process as well as a... a, Uh Uh-huh. So, so you learned. So, are you saying then probably the newest book that you put out is better written than the first book? 
Absolutely. Each one. Now that's the uh, that's the the problem. This uh, paradigm that uh, authors have to get. I've got a good buddy, Tom Harris, who writes a wonderful, fantastic galaxy-spanning science fiction. This guy, uh, I think he got up to like thirty-nine books in his main Adam Kane series, and he he told me that every book that he wrote had to be better than the last one. It had to be bigger, more earth-shattering, more, more, you know, more changing, more, you know, uh, it, it just had to be, it's sort of like the sequel has to be the bigger blockbuster than the original, which, which is always a tough thing in the movie industry. They usually fall very far short. Right. But with a writer, we've got, it's, it's the whole production that we don't have to rely on somebody else. We have to rely on us. And so um, it's not easy to do, but for me, it's uh, it's the next book has to be better. And you know what? You know something that this last book, the uh, Emerald Waltz, uh, which is sort of my version of uh, the Texas version of Raiders of the Lost Ark. This particular book, I had. So much fun writing this book. I just could. I just kept amazing myself. Like what? What? You know? Like oh no! Wow! You know? <laughs> so, so if I can do that to myself as a writer, or the, have the characters do that, or what's going on in the story, and yet you know, even insert like like the most insane plot twist, and it just comes off like a bomb if i can do that and enjoy the writing of it i know i know the reader is going to appreciate it i know they're going to like it and uh man that that is a different feeling that makes me happy <laughs> you right. know what i mean right so right. there you go now now your characters the 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 supporting characters um, where uh-huh. do you where do you get them from? And I mean that in the sense of, are you that guy that goes uh, that's um, out in the shopping mall or in a coffee place or a bar, and you see people, and it's the way they act and how they behave, and you absorb that and use that as a character, or do you just come up with them out of out of the blue? No, no, no. What you said, absolutely. I absorb uh, everything. I everything I see, every person, every conversation. I've got a, a memory like an elephant, and uh, I will. In, in a lot of times, they are composites of uh, many different people, or, or they'll be similar to to to. To maybe one person, but not exactly. I, yeah, it's it's a tough one. But I uh, the those those secondary characters, I, and they are extremely important. And you don't spend uh, nearly as much time on them as you do the main characters. So what you have to do is you have to create them with an economy of words, and you have to uh, just. If you can uh, succinctly describe them with a turn of phrase such that the reader goes, ah, uh-huh, yeah, I know that type of person right there. Yeah, okay, I got that. You, okay, you don't have to say anything more weird. Just that, I got it now. If you can do that with a, a secondary character, then it doesn't take so much away from the uh, 
from what you're from what you're actually doing with with the with the story. The story for me is all my stories are character driven, and um, and so the characters are important to me. Um, not as important as the main character, but they all they all get to strut, they all get to dance on the stage, and everybody gets to see them. So. So they are important. <laughs> do, do you take people you know? Like, I, I, there, there was a few authors I've spoke to, like uh, J.D. Horn, who, who says that he kills off people he doesn't like in his books. Um, do, do you do that sort of thing? Do you, do you take people you actually have met or known and use them in the books? Without, without naming uh, people, of course. Uh, well, not... not uh, oh, I could name them. Uh, <laughs> but not... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not purposefully. I don't set out with malice or forethought to do that, but I am guilty of having killed off people that I've known. Uh, uh, you know, a, a literary murder. And it's uh, it's not very pretty, but, uh, boy, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And, uh, um, yeah, and particularly, you know, one or two women. <laughs> from the old days, from the old days. Oh, that's just a beautiful thing. It's yeah. just a, a very heartfelt, beautiful thing when you can, you can, you go. Okay, there is justice in the world, and I just believe. <laughs> I will do that. I, I, I have to admit. Yeah. Well, now we know. Um, now, now. now it's known. Um, I, 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 hey, Alan, I, I try to get people. Uh, even even the uh, you know everybody's trying everybody's doing the best they can with the information they have and they you know you gotta uh, you gotta you realize that people are essentially and basically good and they will do things that you don't like and they will hurt you and they will betray you and all these other things you know because they're people that way but uh, you know I try and give them benefit of the doubt but still still there's just a little bit of residual rankle. You know, yeah. and I'm just like, okay, all right, now it's my time. Yeah, well, that's good. Uh, so, is there a, is there an underlying, um, how do you say, is there an underlying meaning or something uh, in your book? So, when when someone walks home with Amarillo Waltz or or one of your other books, and they uh -huh. read it after they've read it, other than the story itself, the basic you know, uh, storyline. Is there an underlying uh -huh. theme you want them to walk away with? Is there something you want them to take home? I didn't realize that there was until uh, a while back when I was putting together all of my short stories in an anthology, not all of them. I think it was my second anthology. Uh, I was putting those together, and I realized that I have never written a completed short story or novel that did not um, uh, immerse itself in one theme and one theme only, and that was justice. There is justice, regard if it <clears throat> whether or not it comes from some governmental entity, a court or a judge or jury or what have you like that, or a cop or or or, or what have you. There is justice. And it's not in some uh, afterlife or another life or what have you. It's right here and right now. And the, that gives 
me, at least it gives me, hopefully it gives readers, a sense of order instead of a sense of chaos. I mean, there's nothing nihilistic about any of any of my writing. It, it, it all has to do with justice and order. And, and I would challenge anyone to read anything I've written and show me how that this is not about about justice because I almost guarantee it's going to be. And if it, I'm not going to write it, if, if I'm not interested in it, and for me to be interested in it, it's got to have some element of justice uh, because we find, I think, I think that we see injustice all around us. We've all got injustice detectors. Going twenty four seven, and we go like, "Oh my God, what, what? How did that?" Uh, you know, we just like, and then we shake our head and we go, "Oh, you know." And but in the many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improved jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Only way to keep any degree of optimism in life and not just give up is to realize that there is justice, it, it, there is order, and it's us who bring it. I don't trust 
justice in the hands really of a human being. But, um, but you know, there's situational justice and it seems to come out in the end. You know, Joseph Mengele always gets, uh, he always dies in the end, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, but then that that brings an interesting point, then, um, because if, if if your ultimate goal is to show justice uh, in some sense, um, uh-huh. th- then um, do, are, are you concerned with the world of justice? Then, like for instance, I am in the, extremely, yeah, extremely concerned with the world injustice and, and now we like I uh, said we can talk about any subject under the sun I probably want to stay out of politics here <laughs> and I probably want to stay out of uh, uh, of just sort of like the what's going on right now kind of thing regardless but I will I will say that uh, I am uh, I live out in the, on the edge of the country. Right. Uh, I live in, you know, I live in Austin, but on the extreme edge, we've got coyotes howling out here at night, and we've got foxes and deer, and we've got uh, uh, red-tailed hawks and golden eagles, and it's I'm right on the edge of civilization out here, and uh, and uh, I am loaded for bear, and uh, um, I don't think anyone wants to mess with. Uh, with me or this neighborhood, this property. My my son lives down the street, uh, just uh, about twenty houses down. He's got two kids, my two of my grandkids, and uh, yeah, this uh, this, uh, this where we live out here is just beautiful, and I'm going to protect it. I'm I'm, right. the, I'm Tarzan here. Okay, oh. <laughs> he's swinging from the vines. <laughs> That's you know, right. Uh, well, yeah, but you. I, I, I understand that because I have a house. Uh, I, I'm in Canada, and I have a house up here, and the same sort of thing. You know, there's there's, there's bears and and cougars. Everything's all around. I I, I get that when I'm so I stay out of here, especially now with things. But what I mean is like when so when how do I put this? When things in the world or things in the U.S. particularly uh-huh. um, around uh-huh. you are going bad. Um, so, uh-huh. so what? So, for whatever reason, so you can say COVID, you could say, you know, whatever, uh, without even going political, because it doesn't have to be about that. Just when the outcome, right. when things are sitting kind of um, badly, shaky, and uh-huh. all that stuff, uh-huh. do you, do you end up writing in a darker way? Do you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. like, no. I, I, I very easily could. I very um I very easily could go down that path. But my outlook is I like to think anyway. I like to think that my outlook is a little more positive. Things are gonna come out and in the end it's a little bit more Bill Travis. But yeah, tempered with the uh tempered with the reality of uh of of the surroundings. So, for instance, one of Bill Travis's things is he always tells his kids never to never to drink and never to to smoke pot or anything like that because you got to have your wits about you at all times. You've always now I've been known to have a glass of wine every now and then or something like that, but I will tell you that I do not, generally speaking, I do not indulge 
and I like to have my wits about me because it is incumbent upon me to be uh, sure and certain in all of my actions. And uh, when uh, when it comes down to it, and uh, there's something going on, I'm usually the person in charge, and I'm usually the person that, that handles it. I'll, let me tell you a brief story, if I may, Alan. Sure. Um, just by way of illustration, I was uh, tooling uh, down the street in the heart of Austin one day, and a collision occurred right in front of me. A, uh, a little Chinese girl uh, ran a red light and hit this, uh, SUV with a, a wife and a husband and their two infant children in it, clocked them pretty good, going about probably about 35, 40 miles per hour. And um, I immediately got out the, uh, the the woman driving the car that was hit uh, was about to attack this girl that, that hit her and her family. And I interrupted that. And I got this woman reoriented, got her back concerned about her husband and her children, and I took charge of the entire intersection. The um, ambulance showed up. We got them into the ambulance. We got uh, the police showed up. The street sweeper showed up, cleared up all the glass and uh, car parts and all that. I was just I was telling the police what to do and what they needed to focus on and. And everything was going on there at that intersection, but I was the author of everything that was going on. And then the, when the street sweeper finished, the ambulance gone, the cops left, no one had ever asked me for a report or anything. And I was the last person there, and I just went and got in my car and just drove away. Now, I did all this with a blinding headache. But the thing is that at that moment, I was the authority. And so I would tell the listeners out there that in any given situation, you are the authority. If you've got your snap, if you can make a decision, and you can make a snap decision and it be right every time, then you are it. And so that's an example. And I kind of live my life minute to minute, day to day like that. And I'm kind of, you know, buck stops here um, kind of mentality. I don't own any mega corporations. I'm not a governor or a president or anything like that. But we are all sort of the governor and the president, if you want to know. Yeah. And if everybody would act like that and be like that, behave like that, it would be a much better world. Yeah, it probably would be, but for some reason we go through these ups and downs where, I don't know, people don't always take responsibility like that, right? So Yeah, yeah, uh, I know, I know, it's, and, it, and it's kind of sad, and that is also, you know, we're kind of taught to, uh, to bend the knee to authority, and... Uh, the hell with that! I'm not bend the knee to anybody. The only the only person I've been the knee to is God. So I, um, um, I, I think that's the the real answer to uh, actually what is going on right now. The only way for us to get through it is to each of us be completely responsible for our surroundings. Right. And that I think that's 
that's the only answer that I have. In order to do that, you have got to you got to be completely unafraid. Yeah, uh, I uh, that that's also one of my potential detriments is that um, I'm normally not afraid of anything. Um, nothing. Yeah. Well, then, uh, then you're, there you go. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, so what, what would be your advice then to someone that's uh-huh. starting to write right now? They're, 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 they're writing around, but they've never actually published anything. And what would you say the best thing for them to do is? Oh boy. Well, okay. This is my little mini lecture. But my my advice to them is that not to listen to anybody. Don't even listen to me. Don't listen to anybody for writing advice. You are the authority. You can walk. Okay, if you want to write, then you're probably also a reader. You have you have the ability to walk into a bookstore, pick up a book. Open it up, read the first few lines, read the first paragraph, first page, what have you, and know almost instantly whether or not you like that book or you want that book. I mean, and your decision, your snap decision, will be right 100% of the time because it is your decision that applies to you. You have to treat what you write in the same way way and don't write anything that you wouldn't want to read it's it's really pretty simple and don't listen to experts (laughs) don't listen to people tell you what you should or should not write or how how you should write now there are certain rules of the road mechanics it's grammar and language and stuff like that but the only way really to do that okay here's the thing so it's your language you can speak it you can you can you learn from an early age how to speak there's no reason that you are not an authority on the language that you speak you know a thousand times more than a foreigner coming here trying to learn to speak for the first time you don't have that barrier it's your language you can think in it you can read in it you can definitely write in it. So own it. It's your language. So forget about authorities. You are the authority. It is all up to you. And there's no reason why you can't be the most stellar writer on planet Earth. It could take one book. It could take 50 books. But you, it's, it's, it's all you. And not only that, you as a writer actually bear some responsibility for everything going on on this planet. It's writers that come up with the the we invent the culture. We um, everything that we write, you know, it ends up uh, usually in a movie or something like that. It, it usually influences someone somewhere somehow. And we're constantly refreshing. We're constantly, as writers, constantly creating the culture that we live in. So you actually have, and your perspective is important, but you have the responsibility to the human race to give them your unique perspective. 
yours is there's no none other like it. It's yours. So just write and learn and hone your craft, hone your skills. You may be a quick study, you may be a slow study. It doesn't matter. If you've got some roadway ahead of you, you've got some time left in that body that you're carrying around every day and being moody with or whatnot, <laughs> just use that valuable time and write. My wife used to tell me that, George, no matter what you're doing, you're always writing. You know, you're, you're always you're always working on a project. You're always writing something constantly. And um, that's okay. I want to, can I share with you the writing scale real quick? The sure. writing scale is very useful for new, fresh, young writers. And I figured it out one day. Okay, so there's a scale. You can put anything in life on a scale, right? So at the top of the scale would be the ideal scene. The ideal scene would be writing actively in present time. You're working on a project. You're working on a book. You're banging something out. Okay, good. Merry Christmas. You're there. Done deal. Okay? Writing actively. Top of the scale. Absolute top. Coming down from that mountaintop, what's next down the list? Well, you could say, well, planning to write or researching or you could say um, uh, hoping to get an idea or um, uh, have lost hope of getting an idea. You could say that those are all different parts on the scale, but really they're all one thing. And that one thing is the second slot on the scale, which is not writing. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's all one thing. It's not right. Whatever the reason is. I'm just not writing right now, baby. You know? Okay. So so anytime you're in a not writing condition or position, you need to you need to start writing something. So always be writing something. Okay. And then there's actually an evil lower condition than not writing. It's always evil. You have any (laughs) Yeah, do you have any, it's insidious, do you have any clue what is lower than not writing on the writing scale? Bitching about people that do write. (laughs) Uh Well, you're very close, you're very close. Here it is, here it is, this is the big reveal here. Okay, lower than, lower than writing actively, lower than not writing is this one, wrote. I look at me. I wrote a book. Wrote. Uh uh-uh. uh. It's so evil that you think that it's higher than writing actively. It's sort of like it goes down through the earth and out the other side and floats around the planet to the top where it's sitting falsely above writing actively. But it's not. It's lower down. So what I do when I finish a book, I put finish the end, what have you, on the end of a book. I immediately open another document, title it, and write at least a sentence so that I'm actively writing. Well, there you have it. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, duh. So... Yeah, that's 
And um, uh, there's there's so much advice out there. You're going to find yourself as a writer. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking about no. the, talking to the uh, folks out there, the people who want to start writing. You're going to have every invitation to listen to someone expound on how you write. Okay, you, you can. You're welcome to listen to them, uh, but my God, please immediately forget everything that they said. I went. I made the mistake of doing. I was uh, doing a writing workshop with 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 all these guys that are writers and whatnot. And this one guy that that uh, he, he's, he's a pretty good writer. He, but he he was talking about you must do this and you can't do that. No, never call it this. And uh, so I listened. To, I made the mistake of listening to this guy's hour long deal. And I came home from that, and and I, I already had like twenty twenty five books under my belt. You know, yeah. I went home. I couldn't write for two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Until I got until I expunged that demon. Um, uh, I'm not going to tell you who it was. <laughs> uh, he's probably still alive. Uh, but uh, oh my gosh, no, uh, uh-uh, never, nunca, no, yeah. no, yeah, no. I agree with that. <laughs> oh, I don't go to any of those. Um, I never have, and no interest in, and even you know, book writing clubs and all these groups and stuff. Um, I, I, it has to be something that inspires you, and and I don't find those very inspiring. So, yeah, no, they're they're traps. Generally speaking, there are some where you'll have someone that's very timid, right? Yeah. You have a person that wants to be a writer, and they're very timid, and they say, "Oh well, this they're they're my support group now," and we and that's fine, that's fine. You can do that. Whatever it's. The rule of thumb is whatever, whatever yeah. floats your boat, man. It's, it's it fine. It's yeah. fine. You can, yeah, if it works for you, it's fine. But I'm just saying, generally speaking, yeah. generally speaking, generally it costs no. money, and you don't come out of it. Yeah. There's an old saying: everything in moderation, yeah, including moderation. <laughs> so, just off the side, why do you go into sci-fi and and what you call steampunk and stuff like that what that's kind of a different type of writing than your most of your novels yeah i don't do that unless and until i get a really stellar over-the-top idea that compels me to do that because it's not gonna Normally, it's not going to make me a lot of money. I'm not well known as a science fiction writer, but that's me when things are you know, things are ordinarily going fine, and um, I can let my hair down and I can do whatever I want to do. Um, I just started a western here the other day. It'll be my first western, and I'm writing on it. But right now, mainly I'm writing next little Travis book, but I've got, you know, four, five, seven, uh, four, five, six, seven books now working on in present time right now. Uh, but um, it's when when I feel like I've done enough on this other, I can switch over. That's the other thing I don't believe in is writer's block. Um, <clears throat> it's just a dearth of ideas or a dearth of, uh, uh, of you don't have enough projects. And if you have enough projects you're interested in, you can just switch 
hit a hit a brick wall and you can switch to another project. Don't even don't even hesitate. Just switch, man. Just do it. So it doesn't matter to you if it's something you're known for. Like it, it, you know, if you go to write something, so you say, you know, you're not going to make a lot of money. It's not really a money money project, but right. you're still going to do it because it's something you like to do, right? Is that kind of how you say? Right, it? it's something I want to do. You know, that's the, that's the only uh, the only freedom there is is to, uh, the the freedom to decide something. And by God, if I can't write what I want to write when I want to write it. You know, then, then flunk, you know, then the, <laughs> I'm not doing the right thing. Um, I'm not saying that I would write science fiction all the time if I had my druthers. I do enjoy reading it, but I'm very jaded, uh, when it comes to reading, uh, science fiction, modern science fiction. It's not a whole lot that really floats my boat. Every now and then I find a new author that's really over the top. But man, you know, you can't, you just can't beat a good old Heinlein or, or, uh, one of my favorite authors, Larry Nevin. I'm looking at my bookshelf right now. I'd say I've got about 50 books down there that are Larry Nevin. And, uh, most, most of my shelf is, uh, science fiction, but I've got other shelf and those are all mysteries and they're written by people that I know, you know, and, and so I've probably got, I'm just staring right now. I, I probably got about 200 mysteries on my shelf there, and I know every one of those authors. <laughs> it's really weird. But I've been, you know, that Joe Lansdale uh, was the guy that uh, uh, made me decide for myself that I could write. Um, I, I read Night Runners back back in the 80s, right. and I, he's from Nacogdoches. I said, if this guy can do it, he's from East Texas too. If he can do it, I can do it. So, uh, so, uh, and now we have, uh, uh, I go to his book signings and, uh, he goes to my book signings and we, we pose for photographs together. He was my, he was, uh, he was a god of my pantheon way back when. And now he's, uh, he's a, uh, he's a peer, you know? So that's, uh, to me, that's something. I feel like I've, uh, Standing on the shoulders of well, we all are. We're all standing on the shoulders of giants. And uh, you know that first book that that new author puts out there. They're they're in the club. They're they're, they're in the club now. I don't care you know how, how uh, what lack of accolades they did or didn't get or what have you, but uh, they're in the club. And so. You know, I welcome them. I, I like to help new writers uh, the best I can. Um, I like to foster them. I like to promote them. I like to help them format their books through this evil process of getting a book ready for publication. And uh, whenever I can, I just go out of my way to do it. Uh, I don't know why I do that. I should be doing something else. Oh, by the way, Kenny. Kenny, I helped him with his uh, uh his memoirs, Kenny Rogers. Yeah, it, it all. Yeah, it's it's good. It's it's. I I think you get something out of that if you help another writer uh, move forward. It it helps you as well. It does. It does, and it's a uh, it's a humbling experience uh, for me. I I consider it to be a humbling. Some people might think, oh, well, he's just doing that so he can, 
brush up his brass buttons. But no, I uh, I do that because uh, if you're not helping someone somewhere somehow at some time, then you ain't worth shooting. <laughs> Well, that's that's that. There you go. <laughs> couldn't say it any better. Um, I, now, how how do so? How do people get a hold of you? How do you like people to follow or reach out to you? Well, um, uh, they can go to my website. Uh, uh, it's if you go to George Weir uh, W I E R George Weir dot com. Uh, there's a contact uh, tab there at that website and they can contact it just goes direct to my email and they can contact me there um and uh i correspond with a lot of people and not only that my readers i don't have fans i have friends who read my books and i have been known to jump in the car and go visit people that uh, are readers um halfway across the continent I, uh, uh, I welcome, uh, I, I'll talk to people on the phone, I'll call them up, and they'll say, oh, well, Mr. Weir, are you? You know, and uh, I, I, I get to know them um, and consider them lifelong friends. And so I do welcome people to, uh, to reach out and talk to me. Uh, you don't have to be a reader of my book. If you want to talk to me about writing, I welcome that. Uh, if you want to talk to me about, you know, making movies, because I've got, I also write screenplays and I've, I've got a Hollywood manager now and whatnot. We're trying to break into the streaming services or, or with the 1889 project, uh, I've got that serialized now. It's going to be fantastic when it gets picked up. Um, uh, but I'll, I'm willing to talk to anybody on any subject and I welcome people to, uh, come into my world. And I like to get to know them. Uh, eventually, if I get to know them well, I'll use them in my books. I'll even put their names in. <laughs> You'll kill them off. <laughs> <laughs> in, in, in a few instances, but usually, usually yeah. if I know them well, I don't, I don't, I don't kill them off. I, well, I like to keep them around. So. That's a good thing, you know. Well, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time talking on 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 the phone with me today and uh, the interview. We're going to have your uh, book and website up on ours as well. So thank you, Mr. George Weir. Alan, I uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, you're you're a really pretty sharp interviewer. I, if I do say so myself, I think that uh, this was good. You. Uh, you got me thinking, you got me talking, and uh, That's right. no, no telling what I said. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.